Welcome to The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, sexual shame, purity, and how that all relates to Jesus and God. We hope that through this podcast, you'd be able to recapture the beauty of sexuality. Journey with us as we seek to better understand sex and find freedom along the way. This podcast is a part of season one, and if you haven't yet listened to the trailer for season one, I recommend you do that now before listening to this podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Ariana Malloy and Dr. Alan Yeh joining us. They are both professors at a Christian university, with Alan teaching in the Intercultural Studies Department and Ariana teaching in the Communications Department, and they have a lot to say about marriage and what it's been like for them. I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast today. We are with Ariana and Alan today, um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about marriage, a little bit about their story, and just their thoughts in general. So guys, um, could you just let maybe introduce yourselves, tell us a little about your story, how'd you meet, what are you doing now? Yeah, my name is Alan Yet. I'm Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies at uh, the Cook School of Intercultural Studies at Biola, and um, I've been at Biola for 12 years on faculty. First three years, I was in the Tory Honors Institute, and then I moved over to the Cook School because I did my PhD in missions, and I really <laughs> wanted to teach missions. Yeah. So that's part of um, uh, my story. But then um, a few years after I've been on faculty, um, someone lovely walked into <laughs> campus. So I'll let Who her. Who was in- it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let her introduce herself first. I'm Ariana Malloy, and I'm a professor in the Communication Studies Department at Biola University. My area of specialty and passion is workplace communication. I specifically look at the way that we approach work as a calling, both the bright sides, Mm -hmm. like people are more motivated when they feel called to their work, and the dark sides, like they're more likely to be exploited or have burnout. So it's juicy and and good. (laughs) Um, I have been at Biola, I can't believe I'm saying this, seven years I feel like oh, wow. the they, it's just you know still the honeymoon phase. Um, when is ten years? Is that it? Ten years? No, you would think so because it sounds like ten, that. Ten uh-huh. year. You can apply after your sixth year, so I'm proud to say okay. I'm tenured, which is okay. really exciting. So you can't get fired. Well, <laughs> I'm not gonna ride the wave like that, but theoretically, yeah, I should be good. You can say whatever you want now. <laughs> it's no, no bounds. Right. So I came here in 2012, and I came right after I finished my PhD program at the University of Denver. Um, super exhausted and burnt out. And I remember very distinctly that I had never really wanted to be in California. So I just Mm -hmm. applied to be at Biola to learn how to apply. And then I walked (laughs) on campus and I felt that Holy Spirit tap that Mm -hmm. this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite sure that the Lord utilized that so that I could meet this amazing man that I'm now married to. <laughs> uh, because the very first uh, Christmas tree lighting ceremony in my first oh, year yeah. there, oh, that's right, yeah. let's get down to it. Um, I was sort of sad that there was like no snow and you kind of wanted to have you, ice tree. Did they not do the soap thing? They did I mean, the fake snow. They did. They did that's the not snow. real, right? It's just soap for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know what it is. Yeah. So I'm standing there in the audience with a fellow colleague who had befriended me, feeling just as sad as possible, when all of a sudden, this very handsome man, (laughs) surrounded by all these freshman students, walked over and said, do you need a chair? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So I saw an opportunity because (laughs) we had this mutual friend who uh, was sitting there, so I was able to come up and say hi and... um, I got introduced to Ariana. And so the Christmas tree 
lighting ceremony has become one of our favorite mm-hmm. things, annual tradition. We, we actually always... go back to the same spot that we met and kiss each other every year. Just yeah. to, you know, yeah. just seal the deal. So I I noticed him, but actually I noticed his kindness because the first mm-hmm. thing he offered wasn't like some pickup line. It was, you know, <laughs> would you like a chair to sit? Because yeah. a lot of people were sitting and we were sort of standing in the back. And I was actually dating someone else at the time. Um, so I didn't think anything beyond what a nice guy. And he's kind of a younger looking faculty. I guess there are those people here on campus. And so I asked our mutual friend afterward. <laughs> So what's her relationship <laughs> status? And to to our friend's credit, she said, instead of saying, oh, she's dating someone or she's off limits, she just said, not right now. Mm-hmm. And so she was pretty subtle about it, but she also didn't discourage me. She just basically said, pause. And so I, I took that cue and I thought that was good. So I basically just befriended Ariana and um, didn't think more about it than that and we, we so we started off with friendship and i think that was a you good you just love hospitality you just wanted does. to offer a chair that's right to someone who didn't have <laughs> that's right <laughs> and the reality is we both have a lot of friends that are same sex and opposite sex friends in fact both of us when we got married i had uh one of my best friends he was a one of my bridesmaids as a as a mm. dude and Alan had one of his best friends as a groomsman who was a, a woman. Awesome. Um, so to be friends was actually a legitimate relationship. Yeah. So we bonded together with some of the younger faculty and did game nights and like movie nights. But, you know, and I broke up with this other Yahoo and he, I think he <laughs> dated some other people. And, yeah. you know, along the way, I realized like, man, I don't really know how to date as an adult person, as a Christian. I think there's yeah. a lot of really oh unhealthy gosh. understandings about that. So I read this book, I think that Alan had mentioned this in a different uh, podcast, but called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping by Henry yeah. Cloud. He sort of a silly title, but legitimately like a personal coach in dating. And it sort of deconstructs all the unhealthy rules that we've put into our society as as Christians. You didn't read True Love Waits? No, in fact, no. <laughs> Can't even talk about it. Um, <laughs> so then in my third year, I thought, man... I need to start living life. I need to like go backpacking and rock climbing and canoeing. Like I've got this job now. I'm going to Europe. Uh, Yeah, right. I'm learning how to date. I hate it, but I'm learning how to do it. Um, I want to learn how to run a race. Like that's something that seems like a good plan. So who do I know that that knows how to run? Now, what I remember is Alan offering to teach me how to run. Oh, but we had a mutual friend who was (laughs) standing nearby and said, no, actually she asked me. So that's the true story. (laughs) So we met. I believe I, both of you. Right. In my <laughs> mind, I think he offered, but I apparently asked him, which is a good thing. So, but there was no ulterior motive. It, no. She just wanted to learn she how to She just offered you a seat, you know, mm-hmm. just get in your chair. Mm-hmm. That's right. So um, I, while being very physically active, had never run a mile, I don't even think. And so we met. You learn a lot about someone when you're running with them. Oh, yeah. Especially if one of you, in anything that you do, you learn a lot about someone if someone's really good at something and you're not good at it. Mm-hmm. And what struck me was we ran for a mile. And then we, I think we grabbed like the Balboa bars on Balboa. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Okay. Basically, ice cream bars. Yeah. Um, oh, I was thinking it's like, like an arrested I development. Was like pull up bars. Like, you guys oh are no. Like, you guys are <laughs> and up for ice cream and back yeah. down. Um, and we just chatted about church and stuff. But what I remember is he was really affirming of like my ability to to do this, that I could do this. And so over the next four months, we met twice a week to run. Wow. Now here's the thing. My husband is so amazing. He can run uphill and recite things or give you like a full comprehensive lecture about something. Wow. 
I you can barely breathe. You don't even need a breathe. podcast right. to run. You got, you got Alan. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> um, he could totally have like a running podcast where he just like. You should do is, that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, and, but I can't even really talk when I'm running uphill. I'm just sort of breathing. Mm-hmm. So what he would do is he'd say, hey, I did all the talking. Why don't we go grab some food and um, you can share with me your thoughts. And so we just really built on our friendship. And what was really great is uh, a couple of things. Number one, um, we were not trying to impress each other. In fact, when you're sweating and you're running and you're gross. You have to go to the bathroom. You got to be real about things. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people, they start by (laughs) dating. And so they're dressed to the nines. And honestly, there's nowhere to go but down from there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you're running and sweating... And there's really nowhere to go but up from there. <laughs> That's right. And so what was really great was that, uh, you know, we became friends for a while. And the thing is, a lot of people saw it coming. Mm-hmm. But they basically, they said we were dating without knowing we were dating. But we were just getting to know each other mm-hmm. with no fears, no ulterior motives, mm-hmm. no attempts to try to impress the other, but just being real and becoming friends and trusting mm-hmm. each other. And then four months into it, he, um, oh, actually, like, right before the four months into it, I I noticed him differently one day. I'm like, wow, like, he's actually really cute. Look at those cats. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, But I didn't think anything beyond it because he had become one of my best friends. And so um, a couple weeks later, he um, told me that he had feelings for me. And it was so cute because he, like, wrote out some thoughts. He was very (laughs) sweet about it. And he also said things like, hey, I don't want you to sacrifice your job or your Mm -hmm. sense of calling at work if this is in any way makes you uncomfortable or, like, Mm. we can just still be friends. I genuinely want to be your friend. And so I said, let me think about it. And she made me wait a month. This was not intentional. (laughs) It was over Christmas break. This was not one of those weird Christian rules. No. (laughs) Deep thinker. Um, Basically, we left after the semester, and then I went back to Seattle, which is where I'm from, and we had our Christmas break, which at the time was a month long. I didn't realize though that we talked every day on the phone. So even Mm. though like I needed some time to think about it, and the reason I needed some time to think about (laughs) it, Alan's sitting here like I realized the whole time that we were talking every day. She's like, I need some space, and let's talk every day. (laughs) Classic. I think here's the thing. Before I met Alan, I had come to the conclusion that I accidentally chose my career over a relationship. Hmm. Um, A lot of my friends got married when they were, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, and I was in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, shoot, man, I think I accidentally chose some. And I'm not, I don't regret it, but um, it seems as if my friends were telling me to stop using large words when I would go on dates, to not mention that I have a PhD. Um, Which is kind of dumb, in my opinion. Right. Why, why would that scare someone away? Yeah. Well, it does, especially when you're a woman for some reason. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about this. Yeah. And I mean, would you really want to be with someone who doesn't want you to have yeah. a PhD? And, that's I mean, true. That's not going to work out anyway. They're probably just scared because you're smarter than them. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. but <laughs> No, I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All that to say, I really thought that I had I had missed that opportunity. And so then here is Alan. He's one of my best friends. And I'm like, oh, shoot, is it going to ruin our friendship? And one of my friends was like, here's the deal. Your friendship is going to be changed regardless. Yeah. Like, he, it's out there. He yeah, put it he, out there. He, he wrote the letter. He, he did. That's right. So why not just try? So we met at this really yummy place called Pie Knot in Costa Mesa. It's Aussie pies, like meat pies. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I have an answer for you. He's like, what is it? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I waited a month yeah. for, I don't know. <laughs> and it was less about, I don't know, but it was more, how are we going to do this? Because we work at the same place, even though we're yeah. in different parts of the campus. Um, and he's like, you know what? Let's just go on a date. Let's not take it any farther than that. Let's just see how this is. And he prayed for us, which I thought was really cool. Let's go um, out. Yeah. 
So we did. And it was the best first date of my entire life. It was wow. awesome. We loved it. What'd you guys do? Um, so he picked me up at my place and we drove along the Pacific Coast Highway and went to the Montage Hotel in the lobby and had oh. um, beverages there. Um, With an ocean view. Mm-hmm. And then we went to see Selma, which is the story yes. of MLK. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I remember crying in the movie just because my heart is so for. What a first date. It you was amazing. <laughs> Selma, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you know, this woman has this heart for social justice. And I mean, it just really moved me. Yeah. And then we You're went. Like, I'm in now. I'm yeah. a bully. If I wasn't before, now I am. Yeah. <laughs> And then we went to get some food at this really great Mexican restaurant. And during that time of dinner, he was like, he asked that question that we all get if you're in your like late 20s, early 30s. So why are you still single? But it wasn't a snarky way. It was yeah. like, so like, you so know, what's, wrong what's with going you? on? <laughs> and we, basically, we both just agreed it wasn't timing. You know, mm-hmm. it was timing. And um, and I'd, I'd love to share more about that. But that's yeah. basically. So we dated. We went on four dates. He left for two months. We got engaged right after that. We got married six months later. So we basically started dating got engaged and got married within a year but again we were dating without knowing we were dating for like two years yeah yeah Yeah. and also when you're a little bit older we're not old but like when you're a little (laughs) bit older in life you know yourself more you don't have to figure it out for Mm -hmm. seven years you know yeah well and in ancient times you never even got a date you just just made it work so okay that was awesome. I loved hearing that. It brought me on just like a little journey right Aww. there. I think it was awesome. Thanks. Um, but we're here to talk a little bit more about specifically marriage. Mm-hmm. So you guys are going to funnel this through your lens of not only singleness for a period of time, but also your marriage and your mm-hmm. relationship. So uh, one of the questions I have here is that I hear people often compare marriage to finding your other half. Blah. What do you... <laughs> Okay, so what do you think about when Christians often say it's I'm finding my soulmate, I need to find my better half, I need to find my other half. What what does that mean to you guys? And is that true? Sure. So millennials and Gen Z probably won't remember the movie Jerry Maguire, but there is this famous line in that movie Mm -hmm. starring Tom Cruise where he says to his beloved, You complete me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's complete bunk. Like (laughs) You do not complete me. Jesus completes me. Or rather, let me put it this way. A lot of marriage counselors actually say, if you are a half person and you are going into a relationship and the other person is a half person, Mm -hmm. you do not actually mathematically make a whole because you're basically each trying to leech off of the person to complete yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that actually is a recipe for disaster because Mm -hmm. you become codependent or... You know, but actually the best kind of relationship is if each person in their singleness feels like a whole person. Mm-hmm. And if you have two whole healthy people coming together, then instead of leeching off of each other, they're actually um, giving to the other. And they're actually uh, two whole people actually make a whole relationship. Yeah. So I think that's a misconception to think that two half people make a relationship, mm-hmm. a whole relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, you want to be responsible and ready and like waiting for this person. And on the other hand, you want to say, I don't want to wait to do anything. I want to live my life. Exactly. And so I remember being um, a senior in college and getting ready to graduate. Everyone I knew for some reason had either this European backpacking plan. <laughs> um, they were engaged or they had the ideal internship that actually paid them yeah. money. And I moved back what is in. That like, I right? don't know. <laughs> I think I had like three or four unpaid internships. I had about nine. Right. So I love it. Yeah. They do teach you a lot. But I moved back at home with my parents. I remember Mm -hmm. that year after college being really hard. I think I cried 
every week. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, I thought, man, you know, I have more questions in life than I realize. And I could get a job that I don't like or I could go to grad school. So I'm going to do that. So I went to grad school. I fell in love with learning in my master's. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I was doing after that. So mm-hmm. I moved back at home with my parents mm-hmm. for a year. And I had about two different part-time jobs and a couple of unpaid internships still trying to figure it out. I think I was a bridesmaid 12 times, you know, in that year. And I thought, I still have more questions. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my life. Maybe I should get a PhD. Yeah. If I can get a, like a full-ride scholarship, why not? And so I did. And it wasn't until the third year of my PhD that I realized I wanted to be a professor. This whole time I was trying to figure out what the heck am I supposed to do with myself in life? Mm-hmm. I knew who I was as a daughter of God. I was very clear mm-hmm. that Christ was my first love. But I did not know how to enact that in my work and in my relationships. So I think when it goes back to, you know, are people supposed to marry their other half or their soulmate? That's a boring answer, really, mm-hmm. if you really think about it. I know that sounds romantic. My other half, my soulmate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's boring because you will quickly realize that no one person can complete you. And mm-hmm. that's actually a thrilling thing because when I am married to Alan, when my soul is thirsty and I'm feeling wearied by the world, the first person I go to is the Lord. Mm-hmm. The second person I go to is him. If I went to him first, I would be disappointed. And if he went to me first, he would be disappointed. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And so I think the the most romantic thing is to realize that the Lord is the one who made you thirsty and he's the one who can quench your thirst. <clears throat> and when he does that, you feel refreshed and you can be refreshing to the person you're with. Mm-hmm. That's just not as sexy, though, because I, I want to know that there's just some other person out there <laughs> that God just prepared just for me. And it's the soulmate. And thing, you see them across a crowded room. Predestination. And, yes, right. And it's just like, I don't even have to work for it. I don't even no. have to grow. God's just going to give it to me. No. Um, yeah. I think especially the soulmate mm-hmm. one, if you guys want to flesh this out a little bit more, because. Mm-hmm. I think the other half is like culturally secular, Christian, whatever. We've all kind of bought into that in some ways. I think we're moving away from that, um, not in maybe into good things in the secular culture, but we're moving away from that. But in terms of soulmate, that's kind of like a very Christian-y kind of thing where it's God has prepared a specific mate for you. So like, what do you guys think about that? Because I think, especially if you're speaking to college students, that's like the prime age for Christians to be like, oh my gosh, who am I going to marry? And if I don't get married, I'm either going to go to Europe or I'm going to get a a killer internship. (laughs) And then once that doesn't satisfy me after a few months, I'm going to find someone to get married to. So what do you do with kind of this soulmate language, especially in the Christian community? Sure. Actually, you know, it's funny because yesterday at church, our pastor was preaching on this subject and he Mm -hmm. says that there's this like sense of like, over individualism Mm -hmm. uh, in American culture where we all want to know our fate and our destiny and the specificity. And I mean, it comes from a good place, but we always want to know what is God's will. So, but Mm -hmm. by that, what we always want to know is who is the exact person I'm going to marry? Where's the exact city I'm going to move to? What is the exact (laughs) job I'm going to get? What is the exact thing I'm going to order for dinner tonight? When am I going to die? I I need to know. And this is actually some sort of idolatry because when you're just like so obsessed with what is that one thing, right? Our pastor actually said the best thing is uh, not necessarily to think of God's will as a dot, but as a circle, hmm. right? So instead of thinking if you miss that dot, then you're not in God's will and you're you're sinning rather than uh, that. Think about, hey, are you within the circle? God gives you some freedom and he does give you some boundaries. Like in the Garden of Eden, he says, hey, you know what? You must not eat from that tree, but all the others free Mm -hmm. to eat from it. Mm -hmm. So and we need to think of our uh, relationship with God sort of like that. He says, "Okay, don't do X, Y and Z, but everything else is within your freedom to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So and you're not going to displease me if you, you know, choose 
A yeah. instead of B. Because right? a lot of people are worried that they might marry not God's choice for them. Right. That's a big fear of people I've talked to. Right. And the thing is, because there is no one person that completely fulfills you, this is why we need community. Ooh. Right? Because, <laughs> hey, you know what? There's some things that I can give my wife, but there's some things that I can't. And then she'll need her parents to give her. Mm-hmm. Or she'll need her best friend to give her a uh, best female friend. Or You're my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> you are my, You're my friend. only friend. <laughs> right. See, that that is unhealthy. When people are yeah. like, oh, yeah, I, it's just me and my spouse. And that's it. And I don't mm-hmm. need anyone else. And mm-hmm. they're in my complete world. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you see these people who get married and they fall off the face of this earth. And it's like, what happened to them? Mm-hmm. Right. We, it, you know, kind of like uh, raising a kid, right? It takes a village and i think having uh full-fledged relationships takes a whole community because every single person that you know can offer you different wisdom and different things and um when you're learning from people who are older than you who are your peers from people who are younger than you from your parents from your friends from your spouse then you really get the benefit of the whole community and Mm -hmm. i think then you're more well-rounded person Hmm. I just think the soul soulmate concept, I get it. I get that we want this sense of certainty. I mm-hmm. get that we want to have this sense of meant to be because then mm-hmm. then it's you don't have to argue about it. Yeah. Then you know. You know without a doubt. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard it gets, this is it. Like mm-hmm. this is what was meant to be. And so it's actually, it takes a lot more internal muscle to say, hey, you're the kind of person I was hoping for. Or the opposite. Like I didn't know that I wanted to be with you, mm-hmm. but here we are. Um, mm-hmm. Let's make this work. I think the emphasis should be less on the soulmate and more on the cov- the covenant that you're making. Yes. So when Alan and I stood up in front of a bunch of people and said, you're my home now mm-hmm. and I'm yours, it was a covenant. And the covenant involves the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is the part that makes it um, possible. Not whether or not you're a soulmate. Because here's the deal. You could marry someone that you are exactly alike and, and you complement each other in a variety of ways. But guess what? People change and they grow. Yeah. And so if you marry someone because you're so the same or you have the same experiences or the same language, in five years, that will not be the case. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of our favorite, um, I think he's the nationally renowned marriage therapist or psychologist, the John Gottman. Gottman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of marrying someone, he says, uh, instead of marrying someone that's like you, the two qualities that you need in someone is kindness and generosity. Hmm. And so I think that's very true of our relationship. Alan and I are not the same in many, many ways. In fact, in a lot of ways, we're almost the opposite. But the opposite components are complementary to each other because we are trying to be kind and generous towards one another. Hmm. And so Alan is an adventurer. For him, a a day where he's recharged means to do a lot of things. <laughs> I, while I do love adventure, I'm really like home is my favorite word. Just mm-hmm. the sense of home and comfort. And and so to recharge for me is to be quiet and contemplative, either in nature or with a good book by a fireplace. And together we make it work to do both of those things. Mm-hmm. And it's because of kindness and generosity. Soulmate, that's just very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about even like marriage ceremonies, because mm-hmm. again, I graduated from Biola 2018. And so, of course, right when you graduate, there's probably about 15 weddings in yes. the summer. <clears throat> and so I've been thinking about a lot of these ceremonies and it's like, they're beautiful, they're mm-hmm. dramatic, <laughs> there's fireworks sometimes, it's, it's this crazy, incredible thing. But so many of these weddings I've been to was just utter sadness at the end. Yes. And I'm like, 
I was always sitting there. I I was only sad at one of them, but it was kind of a happy sad. Mm-hmm. But most of the guys were like genuinely just sad. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because there seemed to be this like we're giving you off, like we're losing you from community kind of feeling. Like there was this one wedding that I'm not going to say which one because people <laughs> listening still know which one. Um, but it was probably the most depressing wedding I've been to in my life. I mean, beautiful wedding, beautiful couple. But by the end of it, all of the groomsmen and bridesmaids were just weeping. Wow. Um, and that's one that shows how awesome the couple was. It was getting married, but they were weeping because it's like they know what marriage means in our culture, which means I'm losing my friend. Um, and so I've been thinking about, okay, is that like something that the groomsmen and bridesmaids need to fix in their own hearts, which I think, yes. But also I'm like, okay, how do we do this ceremony in a way that is more inclusive of this is a, you guys are now becoming home to one another but you will still function somewhat as a home to your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about how do we make weddings not so sad yeah. um, for people? Or they're sad because it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not married and I'm right. a loser. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what you guys are thoughts on that. I don't know what your ceremony was like. So I'm sorry if I just, like, critiqued your ceremony. No, it was actually um, a joyous experience. But yeah. I hear you on that. And one thing I would say is if you are single and you're at a wedding and you feel like, man, I don't belong I don't have a place with this person mm-hmm. anymore. It's the opposite. Yeah. So here's the deal. These folks have had all this attention during the wedding preparation and planning. Too much attention, really. Oh, yeah. It's almost an intoxication, like that wedding uh-huh. intoxication where everyone wants to then get married and they mm-hmm. don't think about the the letdown after the high. What really needs to happen is um, your, your friends and your community, you are needed so much more after these people get married. Yeah. They need you to, to push in. And not give them space, but actually say, hey, I realize you might not have as much time, but I'm here. Like, let's connect. In fact, this is sort of related. We realized that into our marriage, I think it was the first couple of months, we wanted to get um, counseling. Not necessarily because there were problems, but because we wanted to figure out how to either mm-hmm. avoid them or do them well. Yeah. You know? And or just so, be healthy and loving. Be healthy and loving. <laughs> I don't really understand why we do premarital counseling, but not actually marital counseling in the first year of marriage. Yeah. yeah. That, that first year of marriage getting counseling to process when things happened and how to approach it made a major foundation mm-hmm. for our marriage. Yeah. And in fact, uh, it's like, you know, this is something we might get to a little bit later, but we just recently had a baby. Mm-hmm. And so he's and so he, cute. He's delightful. His name is Asher. He's five months. And, uh, <laughs> but when we had our baby or right before we had our baby, we took all these baby classes because how do you know how to raise a baby? And, you know, you just don't naturally Once know you how. you just become parents, you just figure it out. Right. You know, right. It's just <laughs> divine wisdom. We took hours and hours yeah. of baby classes. And it's like, why don't people do that with marriage? I mean, you're about to enter this huge new stage of life. Why don't you take hours and hours of marriage classes? Mm-hmm. Beca- but people don't. They just assume, that, oh, we'll know how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not the same. And... Um, by the way, just um, Colton, ba- backing up to something you had just said earlier about um, how, you know, the depressing wedding when people lose you. We <laughs> we had just seen uh, The Lion King yesterday, the, <laughs> the, the, live, one, the, live, the action. live action yeah. one. And I'm a huge Disney fan. And so <laughs> d- despite the fact that I'm a huge Disney fan, I do think that their take on relationships is often harmful to mm-hmm. uh, the Christian mindset and I mean, so that song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? You have mm-hmm. Timon and Pumbaa watching Simba, right? Fall oh, in love. yeah. And what does he say? I can see what's happening, and they don't have a clue. Um, our trio is now down to two, right? Mm-hmm. And then, in short, our friend is doomed, right? That's what they say. Like, he's falling in love, and therefore, we're losing him, and he's, it's over, and he's dead, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
that is not how we should view marriage, right? We should view um, marriage as, wow, he's um, adding another person to his life, but you don't lose your friends. Well, so I often feel like, the because I've been a groomsman now and probably like 11 weddings yeah, um some of them like mormon weddings some of them christian weddings mm-hmm. some of them neither and every time especially in the christian ones actually it's the timon and pumbaa feeling mm-hmm. of like you're just kind of looking at them it's just like this one longing to be like that but then two it's like oh, we know what this means and it's sad <laughs> yeah. so there's um, some important things you need to build into that right so i know that for me i had about three different friends who intentionally sought me out when we got back from our honeymoon and said hey how are you doing how's it going mm. what is it like to have someone sleep next to you and like are you getting sleep or do you have you figured out how to do the dishwasher together and <laughs> is loading the refrigerator stressing you out and you know h- how is it to have a new roommate essentially yeah. um for us we didn't we didn't live together beforehand or anything like that and so this was a big adjustment and i remember being so grateful having friends that I could trust to confide in not in a gossipy way not in a way that would betray things about my husband but in a way that I would be able to articulate myself a little bit and then we also have a community that we meet with for breakfast every Saturday or uh, once a month uh, the first month of every Saturday the first Saturday of every month (laughs) and um and and we get to just talk and and share how we're doing as married Mm -hmm. couples one thing I also wanted to interject in this whole conversation is the role of singles Hmm. Singles often feel marginalized yeah. by married people, especially in Christianity, where singles feel like second-class citizens in the church. I want to say not only um, should singles not feel like second-class citizens, because, look, Jesus was single, Paul was single, right? I mean, there's good precedent for this. In fact, Paul even gave strong Reasons, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what if you're single? That's there's some good things that mm-hmm. come from that. You can really focus on the Lord, and your intention is not divided, and all that. Unless if you're going to burn, then. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we never talk about those, right? Yeah. Because there's this sometimes this idolatry of marriage, and so, but within um, uh, our marriage, uh, well, first of all, when we were single, we and we had been single for longer than some of our other friends, mm-hmm. we realized how precious that time was and also uh now that we're married we don't want to marginalize singles Mm -hmm. and not only that singles have a lot to offer married folks but married folks sometimes feel like they're better than singles or they they're adults now right kind of thing exactly and then they're they've entered a new exclusive club and then they (laughs) they don't talk to singles anymore and i'm like we always try to keep our single friends close and Mm -hmm. invite them and include them and not marginalize them because um, singles have a lot to offer and I think singles and marrieds have a lot to offer each other yeah. and need to remain in close connection mm-hmm. with each other. I have this memory of my friends who were all married and I was single and they would say things like, oh, I need to get home to my husband. And I felt like I didn't have the same luxury afforded to me. Like, mm-hmm. I need to get home to my ice cream or something. <laughs> like, I couldn't be like, I also need some space, but there's not a person yeah. that I can use as a reason to mm-hmm. do that. You don't have an excuse. I don't have an excuse. And so I think that when I was single, I wish I would have felt more empowered to say, yeah, I need to get home too. Mm-hmm. Or I need to do these things that my my needs as a single person are just as important and just as relevant and and not to feel ashamed of self-care and self-development simply because there wasn't another person there. And I mm-hmm. think another thing that I wish I would have known when I was single 
is that it's okay to have boundaries in terms of, I thought, well, I'm single, so I can give more of myself. I can help other people more. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was when I started being in relationship, people expected me to still give that much and I didn't have the capacity for that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I wish I would have had that mentality then. What drives me crazy, honestly, is that when you go to church, a lot of illustrations on a Sunday morning are about family. Yeah. And I know we kind of sort of a maybe a tangent, but I think we need to do a better job talking about examples of Christian living that are outside of simply being married and Mm -hmm. having kids. That Mm -hmm. is not the ultimate Mm -hmm. component. And I knew Jesus just as well before I was married as I do now. I know him differently. I certainly have learned a lot like we do with any new relationship, but it's not as if my faith in God was less when I was single. In some ways, it was actually easier to pursue time with the Lord when I was single. Well, especially with the reality of millennials being more and more likely to be single Mm -hmm. than probably any other generation before. We don't know about Gen Z yet. They might, you know, they might be just as single as millennials. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that's the case then, and then in 15 years, your church population is probably going to be made up of 50% single people. Mm -hmm. And these aren't just single people that it's just like, oh, they're 12, but like 18, 20, 25, 35, 40. And so how do you as a church actually not just give illustrations? And I think that probably starts with, it's not necessarily the pastor's fault right. in some ways because if he's if we only have married pastors who are <laughs> preaching, then most of their examples are going to be coming from their kids' sports games, from their married life. And so maybe the pastors who are married need to give more of a, a wider perspective, but maybe we just need to have more pastors who are single <laughs> and who aren't married. Um, I, at my church right now, I lead the young adults group, and we just had two of our young adults get married. Um, and there's been like, they've told me this, there's been like people who've come up to them. It's like, so like, when are you going to come join one of our small groups? Like you're an adult now. Why are you still hanging out with the young adult group? Mm. Um, one, I think that's because young adults is viewed as like young adult singles who are just trying to get married because they're so lonely and in despair. But two, I think there is a reality of like, you're with us now. You're an adult, you're a mature. And the wisdom of my friends, when they were told that, like, well, look, if you didn't trust our opinion or our maturity like three months ago when we weren't married, don't trust it now. Like we're just as dumb as we were before. <laughs> it's not because we've had sex now that somehow we're like these wise gurus on life. Right? Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of circling back, we've talked a little bit about uh, how should singles, one, not view weddings as this despairing kind of sad thing. But two, how do couples, when they come back from their honeymoon or they move into their marriage, how do you as a couple seek out one community, but two, seek out singles. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you guys in your own life? And kind of what advice would you give to other couples? Sure. So just riffing off of what you had just said, we recently had seen this Saturday Night Live sketch sketch with Adam Sandler, and mm-hmm. he was pretending to be this uh, travel agent. And he's saying, advertising these trips to uh, Italy. And he was mm-hmm. saying, uh, you know, you can come to beautiful Italy and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to eat, eat all this great food and see all this great scenery. And but then he said something like, but here's the thing. If you go, expect to go to Italy, to, that it this experience will transform you. Well, you know what? If you're a jerk going into it, mm-hmm. you're going to be a jerk after the trip. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this trip is not going to change you in that. And I also feel like if you are a jerk going into marriage, and you expect that you're not going to change and that marriage is just going to somehow sanctify you, right? Like, <laughs> you're still going to be a jerk out of it, right? This is why so many marriages fail because you have two jerks coming together mm-hmm. and they don't ch- try to change. Yeah. And so... Well, and- pastors always promise it's like, because they're up on stage, like, man, 
my wife just challenges me so much. She <laughs> sanctifies me. She's the greatest sanctifier. And I, I feel like it's isolating. And it's also problematic that it's not a yeah. woman saying, my husband just challenged me and <laughs> right. he just taught me things, right? Let's... Yeah, because let's be honest. I mean, that, that dude's probably not letting his wife challenge <laughs> right, him as right. much. I, I think what is the key to letting something really transform you is you choosing how to let it transform you okay mm. like i hear people say um whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger i, I think that's kelly punk. clarkson right there yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> i know now i'm gonna have that song in my head for the rest of the day <laughs> well it may make you stronger or it may maim you for life mm-hmm. it may like really embitter you and anger you and just debilitate you for life so really what allows it to benefit you is how you choose to frame it in your mind. If something hard happens, you can either say, well, you know what, I'm just going to let it embitter me, or I'm going to actually learn a lesson from this and actually take it to a good place. Mm -hmm. Same with marriage. Marriage itself does not sanctify you. Mm -hmm. You have to choose to embrace it as such, because if you just enter it thoughtlessly, it will actually break you. It could mm-hmm. break you, mm-hmm. right? And so I think we need to actually uh, be thoughtful about everything. And so as such, single people and married people both encounter a lot of changes in life, both encounter a lot of situations in life. And every time you encounter something hard or different, you just have to say, how am I going to allow this to shape me, mm-hmm. right? And you have to be thoughtful about it. And that is the mark of maturity, not just letting it passively fall on you and expecting Mm -hmm. that's by some osmosis is going to make you different. (laughs) Yeah. I think similarly, I understand when we say marrieds and singles that we have to divide things and create categories. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's um, a lot of usefulness in categories. It's shorthand and it's also comfortable. Like when you are around same then you don't have to adjust. Mm-hmm. So and and you can also say, "Oh, I see you. I hear you. I've had this mm-hmm. the exact same experience." And that's very comfortable. And that's important. But categories can also constrain. Mm-hmm. And I think just as much as it's important when you're married to have friends that are single, it's important to have friends that are different ages. Mm-hmm. It's important to have friends that are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different um, geographic places, mm-hmm. different um, identities of any kind. And so I just want to hang out with like upper middle class, <laughs> white, straight, married people. I only want to be with people America. who like white chocolate mochas. That's that's my thing. Um, we can talk big, about coffee all the time. That's right. Uh, no. Th- so the thing is, it is so the marriage is quite a transition. Anytime you connect your life with someone else and you say, hey, we're going to do these things together now, um, you do need to kind of process that with people. So I don't think there's any shame in saying I need a I need a place to go do that. The problem is when that becomes an isolated place and all you're doing is breathing in the same air and mm-hmm. you're not getting fresh air, fresh air from different generations, mm-hmm. from different um people groups who are in different social areas that will be what makes your life robust and interesting and integrative and so i think for me when i think about the friends that i choose i don't ever think oh are they married then i should be friends (laughs) with them i think what can i learn from this person what do i admire about this person what are they doing in their lives that's hard that they're overcoming and how can i live life with them Mm mm-hmm you're not just thinking, man, who understands just right. <laughs> my and marital experience? I think it's really a bummer when people who are married and they're in conversation with each other only talk about married things. Oh, man. So I think that's the big issue. It's kind of like when you run into someone and there's a third person there and 
they don't introduce themselves or you don't introduce mm-hmm. yourself to that person and you're only having a or dyadic. Or you're like a part of CrossFit. Exactly. And you just talk about CrossFit. Right. And if you don't do CrossFit, you you're don't just know. not included. Or Game of Thrones. You know, I've, just, <laughs> I've not seen that show. I can't contribute to the conversation. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to talk about things that you have in common. But when you're around other people who don't share that commonality, it's really important to be generous with your conversation and think about how you might include them. And learn from them. The married couples I know that are, to me, they just give off the most welcoming presence are actually the ones that I think are, I see reaching out mm-hmm. to just singles, older married people. The couples that I know that only hang out with other 20-year-old married sons, it's like, I don't really want to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. Um, not because you're terrible, or, but it's just like, there's not that, like, there's not anything I'm necessarily admiring because you're not growing as much as my other friends who are, like, taking that multi-generational, multi-ethnic kind of approach to friendship where it's just like I'm getting a full experience of the family of God here and not just this small fragment of like married Biola couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that is a that is a one type person basically Um, now obviously they're different they have different personalities but generally I mean if you got you went through Biola or you went through the same Christian college had the same Christian friends that were all the same cultural background and then got married, and then you only hang out with people who meet all four of those criteria, I feel like it's going to be really hard for you to actually grow. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of people are right now. One, because it's comfortable. But two, because I think it's what they're taught. Like, they're taught, hey, first year of marriage, hey, make sure you, like, spend a lot of time with each other, and you're finding other married couples your age who you can, like, talk about these things with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't you talk to, like, older married couples? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think your other married couples are going to know more about sex or communication or anything in marriage? They just got married when you did. Um, so, oh my gosh, yes. A thousand times yes to that. So how do you, I guess as a married couple, if there's other married couples listening to this and they're like, yeah, we want to incorporate more single people into our lives. Right now we don't have any. How how should they go about that? Um, I know you mentioned like what you're like, oh no, I'm, I want to hang out with them because I admire them. But what if it's kind of just like, it's a typical like, yeah, I want to be friends with people who are different from me, but I just don't know anyone. So like, what do I do? So how how should they go about finding them and interacting with them? Right. So you had talked about the changing demographics of America and, Mm -hmm. you know, similar to racial change. For example, statistics have shown that uh, probably by the year 2050, ethnic minorities will no longer be minorities. They'll be a majority. And so we have to learn to adapt to that difference. And the same thing with uh, singles. If, you know, in some years in the future, singles will outnumber the marrieds. Well, that actually changes things a lot. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we have to actually learn how to uh, adapt to this new reality and not just assume that the majority uh, is married or that married is the norm. Mm -hmm. So I think church offers us a really good venue for this because I think, let's say you take people who don't go to church, right? Like. Mm -hmm. How do they find other people to hang out with? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. Well, you know, the funny thing is they would have to find venues of sameness, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you're really into horseback riding, right? Then you would find... As we all are. Right. (laughs) You would find a group of horseback riders to hang out with. Or if you're really into baseball, you find out other baseball fans. But um, people, after you are you graduate from college and you no longer have this built-in community of diversity, Mm -hmm. then you basically gravitate towards sameness. You just Mm -hmm. hang out with, you find communities with people who are similar to you. But in church, that's different 
because you go to church and there is one point of sameness is that people are Christians. Mm -hmm. But other than the fact that we share the commonality of being Christians, everyone's different, right? Mm -hmm. And so I say, take advantage of that, right? Mm -hmm. So on a Sunday morning, sit next to somebody who looks very different from you. And if you have no one at your church that looks different from you, there's a problem. problem. (laughs) If your church is a community of sameness and only sameness, maybe there's a problem. Right. So you can always check out different churches, Mm -hmm. but hopefully your church has diversity of ethnicity, diversity of age and Mm -hmm. you know you can sit next to people of who's the opposite gender or whatever and um you can offer them a chair if they don't yes there you go (laughs) (laughs) but not only on sunday mornings but you know as anyone pastor will tell you that actually the community really happens in small groups Mm -hmm. so join a small group that's diverse as well right and then also Mm -hmm. extend hospitality you know in church it's less threatening than walking up to someone in the street and saying hey you want to come over for dinner right Mm -hmm. but if you're in church you can do that a little bit more naturally you see someone who's looking a little lonely or you know and it's not weird in church like if you walk up to someone on the street maybe you've never met before and you're like hey i want to get to know you can we get dinner (laughs) they might accept it but they also might this guy's a serial killer right Right. Um, but at church it's like oh, wow, Like that warms my heart. Like, yeah. of course, I'll come over for free dinner. Yes. And so you can just look around the room and see, does anyone look isolated or lonely mm-hmm. or um, by themselves? Or, But regardless, that church is this wonderful venue that we can take advantage of to reach out to those who are different and mm-hmm. to, to learn from those who are different, people of different ages and mm-hmm. um, races. So, And I think we need to avail ourselves of that. It's tricky because I actually think sometimes that's such good – Good stuff, though, honey. Um, I think in addition, um, church is sometimes the most unwelcoming place, especially for yes. singles. It is there's an oddity about being a solo person who for enters the door people, for a lot of people, singles. and um, and so I think we have to do what Alan was talking about with um, a, a proactive stance to literally go and see who's not being talked to and how can I be that person. I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of how can we befriend single single mm-hmm. folks. So I do want to say that, especially in your first year of marriage, it is important to take time to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. I think part of the challenge for Alan and I is because we got married a little bit later, we were like very active people as singles. And so mm-hmm. we had commitments every oh, night man. of the week. Yeah. And so then when we got married, it wasn't just that we had commitments every night of the week. We had two commitments every night mm-hmm, of the week. Mm-hmm. And I think we found ourselves overcommitted because we were so intent on not being that couple that becomes, <laughs> you know, yeah. just in, in and of themselves. And so we did have to take a step back and say, you know what? We need to make sure that at least two or three nights a week we're, we're doing something yeah. together and we're being quiet and we're learning how to And you still care have for each four other. to five nights of the week. Hello. Left. Absolutely. Yeah, a ton um, of time. The other thing that I love, I love doing, I love partnering with Alan in anything. He's just so much fun to do stuff with. But the thing that I love is being relational with others with him. And so food is a great community building activity. And so we try to just invite people over to our home to have dinner and watch a movie. And we intentionally think of our single friends who we've, who have we not seen recently or how can we invite them over? How can we, we want to go do this thing. Who could we invite with us? And so mm-hmm. I think a big thing is it's not that I do things apart from Alan all the time. Mm-hmm. I, although I do, but we also do things together with mm-hmm. our community so mm-hmm. that we can love on other people together mm-hmm. Yeah, and show that it's okay to have three people over for dinner. You know, one, one other person besides Alan yeah. and I it doesn't have to be another couple. It yeah. can be another person. Yeah. That's really good. I think both of what you said is really good here. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, also just taking into account what people might have more of or less of. So I realize this is a little bit of a stereotype, but I think single people might have more 
free time. Mm-hmm. And married people might have more money. Uh, Ariana and I, were, some of our Resources, friends, et cetera, yeah, right. some of our friends have referred to us as dinks, right? Double income, no kids, right? Until <laughs> recently, changed. yeah. yeah. Now anymore. we have a kid. But when you're double income, no kids, like, wow, that's that's kind uh-huh. of nice. And then when you're singles, you know, you don't have to be home at any certain time because mm-hmm. you're pretty free. So, what you might consider if you're a married couple is like, okay, if we have double income, no kids. We can provide the meal. Yeah. And then the single has the flexibility. So why don't you invite the single over to your house? Yeah. Maybe you don't have the flexibility of driving somewhere, mm-hmm. but the single does. Mm-hmm. But you have the flex- you have the uh, advantage of resources. Mm-hmm. So that's a perfect fit. Yeah. So yeah. host singles in your house for mm-hmm. dinner. And I think that's, you know, and again, you know, I realize that's stereotyping. Um, you know, maybe there are some married people who do have flexibility <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, some, and no money. <laughs> yeah. And s- some singles have um, money. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But but think about how you can flex and roll with people who have different situation in life and still make it work. Yeah. I think that's really cool because. I've been thinking a lot about like marriage in the church um, and just in how we interact because I'm thinking like, okay, I have a buddy who just got married. She's going to be working at a $70,000 a year job and he wants to go into ministry, but he's like, I want to take the right job. So he has a luxury of kind of just waiting and, you know, taking a youth pastor job that's unpaid, whatever. It's not like impressing. And then for me as a single man and moving, I don't, I have to get a job like right, right away. Um, and that's just a small thing. So it's like, what would it look like for the church to actually fill the gaps for single peoples in that way, but then also do it for married people as well. Uh, but that's a different podcast for a different time. Maybe we'll talk about that again later. Um, yeah. But I, we're kind of running close to the end here. So I guess kind of to sum it all up, um, what would be your guys' hope for marriages in the church? Um, whether that's your your mantra, your paragraph, what is your overall hope for marriages within the church? And that you can take that any way you want it. Um, whether that's, you know, how the church should interact with married couples, how the married couple should interact within the church, what marriages should look like within the church, whatever that is, what is your hope for marriages in the church? I would say that marriages are great, but they are not the end all and be all. So first of all, we should not idolize marriage. We also uh, need to not see it as the ultimate fulfillment or better than singles mm-hmm. uh, rather to see it as you know there, there are pros and cons to each situation yeah. right and so uh, everybody's journey is different and they need to take their journey um, and take advantage of the open doors and closed doors that God has for them in any stage of life yeah but I think that <laughs> marrieds um, you know we can as long as we don't isolate ourselves and we can offer ourselves um, because I know it's so easy to be self-focused. It's so easy for husband and wife to focus on each other. Mm-hmm. But if there can be an overflow of that love towards the community, that would be my hope. Yeah. I think the two myths that the church likes to perpetuate or doesn't even know that we're perpetuating. We just are, mm-hmm. is that marriage is the ultimate example of you achieving full Christianity. Yes. And then secondly, that marriage is hard. And so I think Mm -hmm. there, I'd like to reframe both of those. The first one, I just would like to obliterate. It is not the (laughs) ultimate, right? Get over it. It's a big reframe. Yeah. Um, Let's take out that whole picture and put something else in. 
marriage is an example of how you learn how to be less selfish. Mm-hmm. It's an example of what it means to cooperate and collaborate with another human. It's mm-hmm. an example of understanding the covenant that is holy, but it's only one. There are mm-hmm. many others. So I think it's important that we continue to figure out how to not make that seem like the ultimate component. Mm-hmm. What are we doing for the kingdom? How are we loving others? That's mm-hmm. the question. The second thing, though, I think is important is marriage is hard. People say that a lot. And I think they say it assuming the word hard is bad. Mm-hmm. Hard is great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the hard things in life are well fought for and well earned. And yeah. so I do hope that Christians who are seeking marriage or who are married would recognize that it is an ongoing, developmental, continuous, dynamic process. And The other person is not going to learn how to read your mind. If they do, that happens to be a miracle. If you're having a rough day, say, honey, I'm having a rough day. If you Mm -hmm. need something, explain, I'd really like this. Don't Mm -hmm. wait for the other person to get it. Marriage may be hard, but it is hopeful and Mm -hmm. it is an amazing adventure. And there are a lot of other adventures in life too. But I think it's important to not swing the pendulum to one direction or the other. My hope for the Christian church is that they would make room for other ways to enact what it means to serve in the kingdom of God and that they would also talk about the everyday ways to make marriage better. Hmm. And also, in many ways, marriage is easier because you have a partner who is, who's got your back or who you can yeah. vent to or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and sometimes singles don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so to only frame it as hard discounts the fact that singles don't sometimes have that person that they can rely on for example this is a small thing but when i traveled as a single and every time i had all my suitcases and everything and i need to go to the bathroom i'd have to like lug all my baggage with me into the bathroom and (laughs) with with my wife i can just say hey can you watch the luggage i'm gonna run to the <laughs> bathroom an exciting role i take oh it with great honor and then i come out and what then, a relief and then i'm watching <laughs> the luggage and she goes to the bathroom right yeah. and or another example is that uh, my wife and i uh, we found out it's so funny that it's acceptable to as a married couple to brag on each other right mm-hmm. if you say my wife is so amazing and blah, blah, i can say all this stuff about her and then people are like oh that's so cool mm-hmm. right but single people cannot brag on themselves Mm-hmm. People will say, well, how arrogant. So who's going to be their advocate? Who's going to be their support? Who's going to brag on me? That's right. right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so while marriage has its hard, singleness also has its oh, yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. And marriage has its easy and singleness has some of its mm-hmm. easy too. Mm-hmm. So in both respects, I think we need to just uh, take it as God gives us and um, and say, well, how can I make the most of the opportunity where I am instead of the grass is always greener on the other side? I think it's so easy to say, well, you have it better. You have mm-hmm. it easier. But actually say, you know what? I am content with where I am and God has placed me here and let me avail myself the most of this opportunity. Yeah. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. I think you guys have a lot of wisdom just in your life experience and what's brought you to this point and the fact that you guys are both doctors. Uh, <laughs> gives, gives you a lot of credence. You know, the, the one thing I like to say is that we are a paradox. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I use that joke a lot, but it, it just works. It's here. really good we have a kid because now he can actually have dad jokes and it's yeah, acceptable. But... And this kid can actually enjoy him. Even if he's not, it's just Alex right. to just dwell on it. Okay, well, sweet. This has been awesome. Thank Thanks you guys so much. so much. Thank you.
As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. We hope that Alan's and Ariana's words encourage you in your marriage, reframed how you view singleness, and made you feel hope for your relationships. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.